Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from one of our pastors. Good morning. Thank you. All right. Well, my name is Justin Allison. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Greenwood, and I've been on staff here about eight and a half years. We attended for a few years before that, and, uh, and I've lived in Parker County now for about 21 years and love it here. This is what I consider home, even though I didn't grow up here. You're going to hear a little bit more about where I grew up in a moment. But uh, I wanted to start today by praying for Brian and Sonny. Um, Brian, our senior pastor, Sonny, our executive pastor, who are both uh, still healing. And so we want to pray that they continue to heal. So let's go to the Lord in prayer now for them. God, I thank you for the leadership that Brian and Sonny provide to our church. I pray that you would continue to heal them. We thank you so much for the good reports uh, from both of them. Father, we thank you for that news. We thank you for the encouragement that that brings and, and for getting to, to speak to them both this week and hearing how, how well they are progressing. God, we just pray that you continue to do that in their lives. We pray that you bless them and their families this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we are going to look, uh, we're going to begin, I should say, in 1 Samuel chapter 15. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we have a prophet named Samuel. That's where we get the name of the book from. Uh, so Samuel is the prophet and Saul is the king. And in 1 Samuel 15, Saul has been given a specific charge to do and uh, doesn't really do it. And so to set the stage for you, I want to I tell you a story that happened a long, long time ago in a land far, far away. A long time ago in the 1990s, or as my son says, the 1900s, which I guess is technically right. Um, and then uh, where I grew up in East Texas and Tyler. Um, so you remember, no, most of you don't remember, but some of you will remember in the 90s, uh, it was pre 9-11, so we weren't as worried about things back then. And so we could kind of go do whatever. Uh, we lived in this magical place that not everyone experiences nowadays. It's called the outside. And uh, so we were just kind of told, hey, it's summer, be home at dark. You know, uh, that was kind of the way things worked. And Tyler wasn't a small town, but it was a place that, uh, you know, we had friends. And so people would kind of keep watch on you. Um, my parents would know when things happened at church, they would hear, you know, what, what happened or whatever. And so uh, we had two rules when I was in later middle school or high school that before I was driving, we, we had, you know, bikes back then, and you just kind of took off and rode wherever you could go. The two rules were do not cross, thou shalt not pass, uh, the loop, which was north of our house, and the street called Broadway, which was to the east of our house. And as a parent now, I'll tell you, it made good sense. Uh, these, these roads had three lanes of traffic going each direction, turn lane in the middle, speed limit was about 50 on these roads. Made sense, don't cross those streets. But as a teenager, <laughs> there was this promised land across Broadway from my house, and it was called Best Buy. And Best Buy is where they kept the video games, okay? So you could go in there. I mean, back then, you, you didn't have all the stores we have now. That was the one place a kid could go and see all the new video games. You could play a few of them, which was just amazing. 
And so one day, when we were off school, my friend uh, convinced all the boys on the street that we should go to Best Buy. And so after hemming and hawing, we eventually decided we would do this, you know. And so we get over there to the street, and we're, we're on our bikes. We're kind of watching for a break in traffic, you know. And one finally comes, and we take off and then have to slam the brakes on because there's cars coming. And so we're stuck in the middle in the turn lane, like eight kids on bikes, you know. And uh, cars are whizzing past, honking at us and stuff. And then finally, we, a break comes and we get across. We go to Best Buy, do whatever we did. I don't even remember. Um, it was that impressive. But, but so then we come home safely, and uh, my brother and I kind of give each other that look, you know, like, we're not saying anything, right? You're not saying, okay, well, yeah, we, we have an understanding here. And so um, <clears throat> everything was good, we thought. Now, I should tell you that my dad's office was about a half a block from where we crossed the street. And we did this at lunch hour. And so when my dad got home from work that day, um, he came in and he said, hey boys, let's talk. So we turned off Saved by the Bell and we got up and uh, go to my dad and he's asking us what we did that day. So we're telling him and he goes, okay, did you guys cross Broadway today? Oh no, dad, no, we, we didn't do that. And we're kind of like side glancing at each other like, what's going on? And he's looking at us with that look like, really? That's the story you're going with. And so then he lets us know, hey, I drove past some guys, some kids, some dumb-looking kids in the middle of the street, <laughs> in the turn lane, in the middle of lunch rush today, and they looked a lot like you boys. And so we were caught, we were busted, we got grounded. And I want you to remember that look that my dad had looking at me, catching me in a lie, because that is what happened in 1 Samuel 15. Uh, the prophet Samuel has given Saul a mission he told him to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. So Saul was supposed to go and destroy them completely. It was something that God had pronounced upon the Amalekites for some sins they had done generations before. But Saul listened to the people that were there with him. He listened to some of his warriors. And so Saul uh, allowed them, or chose, I'm not really sure, uh, they brought back livestock, they brought back the king, and perhaps some of the people, it's hard to really tell, so they do that, they bring them back, and then Samuel comes to meet them to see how things went. And so Samuel goes up to Saul and he says, hey, did you follow the Lord's commands? And Saul says the same thing I did. Of course, of course I did what I was supposed to do. And then Samuel has that same look my dad gave me. And he says, why do I hear the sound of livestock then? Why do I hear that? And Saul is caught, he is sunk. And his response is the same response Adam had in Genesis. He starts shifting blame. He starts saying, oh, well, the people made me do this. This happened. We, by the way, we were, we were going to sacrifice stuff to the Lord. I mean, so you remember, we're supposed to sacrifice stuff, Samuel. So we brought these things to sacrifice. So that should mean everything's good, right? Because we're doing the ceremony, the ritual. Everything is good, right? And that's where we come in, in 1 Samuel 15, 22. So let's stand and read 1 Samuel 15, 22. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than the offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. 
You can be seated. So this begins the downfall of Saul and the rise of the next king, David. But it's because of a lack of obedience and a trust in ritual or ceremony uh, that just standing on these kinds of things were a way for him to um, gather power, gather fame, gather fortune, keep favor with the people. You know, he let them bring back some stuff. They were probably kind of happy with him about that. So Samuel got mad at Saul because Saul, uh, he was trying to, you know, play that trump card of ceremony and ritual, and the Lord was having none of it. And so the first thing we need to understand is that the worship that the Lord requires is obedience and not ritual. And that's the first thing I want us to see today, is that true worship of the Lord requires obedience and not ritual, not some kind of ceremony. Saul was focused really on himself. And sometimes you and I get focused on ourself. Um, if we are, if you're, if you're um, out doing something in the world and uh, you have a chance to, to make a decision that's gonna give you more money, uh, a little bit better position, or say no to something and not get it, um, I'll be honest, my pride kind of bends me towards taking the other step that, that says yes to the power, the fame, the fortune, that sort of thing. And so as humans, we have that sin nature in us to try and choose something that makes us the center rather than God the center. And sometimes we try to um, make ourselves feel better or look better because of a ritual or a ceremony that we do. It may be some sort of religious act that we do, some sort of sticker we have on our car. Maybe it's a, a t-shirt we wear, or um, maybe it's um, where we send our kids to school. And so we think that because of something we do, that we are right with God. And that's exactly the trap that Saul fell into, and we see Jesus criticize the Pharisees for the same sort of thing in Luke 11, uh, starting in verse 37. In Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37, it says this, as Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took place at the table. It's kind of a big deal going over to someone's house. Uh, it was them showing hospitality, should follow their rules. Verse 38, his host was amazed to see that he, Jesus, sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. By Jewish custom, okay? So then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but on the inside, you're filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside, by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So we can get sidetracked and we can think that ceremony or ritual is really more important than the heart behind the matter. We saw that in the lives of the Pharisees. For them, it was, it was hand-washing and it was tithing that they felt were, were kind of the stamp of approval in this guy's case uh, that would make him right with God. But evidently, what Jesus is criticizing him for is not caring for the poor. Um, 
not the, I mean, that he's neglecting the more important things. We'll see later, that's justice and mercy and compassion. And so he's thinking that some sort of religious ceremony or ritual will make him right with God. And for us, it could be, uh, like I said, it could be um, any number of things, but sometimes it can even be something as small as, as praying a certain formula um, before we eat or before we go to bed or something. Um, now, I'm not saying all formula think prayers are wrong. That's not at all what I mean. Uh, my kids, by the way, I have, I have three kids. Uh, two of them are, are girls, my older two. And just so you know, they were the most beautiful, amazing little girls. Not yours. Mine were. Okay. Um, and so you understand that. But um, my two daughters, when they were in preschool, both learned this, uh, this formula prayer that they were going to pray at meals. And we had them pray this. So before one of our meals, we'd say, hey, Megan or Jenna, would you pray? And so they would put their hands together and they would sing this little prayer. God, our Father, God, our Father, we thank you. You can sing if you know it. We thank you for our many blessings, for our many blessings. Amen. Amen. Somebody did. Thank you so much for that. I didn't feel as embarrassed. Uh, But so my kids would do that and it was great that they were learning to pray. And it was great that they were learning some, some really meaningful things, right? That God is our Father. We thank Him for all His blessings. Those are good things. But imagine if my now 15-year-old, almost, she's almost 15, um, would, if she said, when I, when I said, okay, I'm, I need you to pray, and she stood up and said, God our Father, God our Father, I thank you, we thank you. Amen. Amen. All right, let's see. Like, that is not truly worship. That's not being serious about what we're saying. And that's a danger that we can fall into, any of us. And we can think that because we said a certain group of words that now we don't get indigestion when we eat or whatever it is, right? We can think that, um, but that's not really what matters. What matters is where our heart is in these things. Uh, it matters that, um, that we're obedient to the Lord in, in our actions. And so being obedient is good, uh, but when we trust ceremony and ritual and those kinds of things as obedience, they don't actually build us up and make us right with God. Obedience and where we put our faith, our trust, our focus, our heart matters. That's what makes us right with the Lord. In Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so when you and I put our faith in the Lord Jesus, that's what makes us right with God. It's that kind of obedience and not some sort of ritual that makes us right with God. So that means that it isn't just about where we sit on a Sunday morning versus where someone else sits on a Sunday morning. That doesn't make you a better person than that other person or more right with God. That, that doesn't do it. Um, obviously, we hope that you're sitting in a church worshiping the Lord, but the focus is the question. Where is your focus? during that time that you're here. Because if you're just here mad that you're here, you're not actually focused on the Lord. And so we want, we encourage people to, to put their faith, put their trust in Jesus and be obedient with their heart, with matters of the will, being obedient. And so that can look like this. So it does matter where your heart is on a Sunday morning and where your heart is on a Monday morning. When you're at work, when you're doing school, or maybe you're parenting on a Monday morning, that's what matters. Or on a Friday or a Saturday evening, where is your heart when you're doing other things? Where is your heart? Are you being obedient to the Lord? Are you following him in those matters as well? So when we are self-focused, like our example of Saul, when we're self-focused, we tend to focus on ritualistic, 
like rule following because we think it will make us feel better or look better. I mean, I'm guilty of that sometimes. We think it will make us feel better or look better, but to break that cycle, we really have to turn away from ourselves and repent and focus on Jesus and focus on following the Lord. And so that fancy word repent just means that we turn and we go a different direction. So we refuse to make ourselves the priority. And instead we make God and others the priority. And the Old Testament um, is where we first start seeing that idea. We're going to get to the New Testament. But in Psalm chapter 40, it says uh, this, starting in verse 6. This is the prophet speaking here. uh, Prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40, verse 6. You, God... You take no delight in sacrifices or offering. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand you don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I have come as it is written about me in the scriptures. And I think that's pointing ahead a little further. And verse eight is what we're concerned with at the moment. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. So these, these matters of the heart are a big deal. In, in, um, in the Old Testament, heart did somewhat uh, correspond to emotions, but it had more to do with the will, the choices that you make. And so is what you're doing, uh, are you taking joy in the instructions of the Lord? Are you, uh, are you following him with all you have? And as believers, as people who follow Jesus, we get a gift of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that instructs us from within so that we might have um, God's voice within us instructing us in matters in our life. And then finally, as we move over to Isaiah 66, verse 2, this is uh, the Lord speaking through the prophet in this case. It says, My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts, who tremble at my word. But those who choose their own ways, delighting in their detestable sins, will not have their offerings accepted. And so that's where he's making the point that, yes, he has commanded them to make offerings. Yes, he has done that. Yes, they are supposed to do that. But the the thing that he's upset about is their attitude in worship. And you and I can have acceptable worship before the Lord when we choose to have a humble heart, a contrite heart before God. We might call that having an authentic heart, being authentic before the Lord. Now, a lot of times when we think of authenticity in our culture today, it means, you know, just being your real self, expressing everything fully to another person. So don't hold anything back with that person. You tell them the good, the bad, the ugly, all of that stuff. And there's a part of that, I would say, in what the Bible is talking about. But it also looks more like, according to this verse, it looks more like having a humble and a contrite or a broken heart. And so we come to the Lord with full knowledge that he uh, is righteous and we are not. We come to the Lord and we understand that he is creator, as the first part of Isaiah talked about. He's the one who created everything. We are created. He's the savior. We need a savior. He is literally everything and we are, we are not. We need him for everything. And so we come to God recognizing that and recognizing our own sinfulness. We, we talk about every week in Romans, it says that we are all sinners. You, me, 
people at home, people watching online, right? We are all sinners. We all fall short of God's standard. And the thing is, when we're authentic before the Lord, we admit those kinds of things. We are fully admitting of that when we enter into his presence. David, King David, is called a man after God's own heart. He would follow Saul. We've talked about Saul today. Saul's the guy who tried to depend on some other things. He did what he thought would make him look good, and he eventually is not king anymore. And the one God raised up in his place was kind of the anti-Saul. He was the reversal of that. He was everything Saul was not. In fact, he foreshadowed Jesus. But he also gave you and I an example in the way that he responded to being confronted with sin, okay? David, we know, is famous for being a great king, but he's also famous for the sin with Bathsheba, where he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he had her husband put to death. Pretty bad stuff. How can this guy be a man after God's own heart? Well, it it has to do, I think, with the way that he repents, because he gets confronted with his sin. And our man Samuel, back on the stage, he he does something kind of interesting, I think. He goes up to David, and he doesn't just tell him straight up like he did Saul, you're not going to be king. He doesn't do that this time. This time he tells a story, and he says, you know, there was a wealthy man. His neighbor was was a poor man. All the man had was this one lamb. It was his favorite. One day the wealthy man stole the lamb, killed it, celebrated a feast by eating it. What should we do with that guy? David's like, we should kill him. He should be put to death. Samuel just kind of nods again, same look that we talked about earlier. Okay, you're the man. You're the one. And immediately David breaks down and he repents before the Lord. And that's the response that you and I need to have. When we are confronted with our sin, and here's the thing, we will be confronted with sin because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We will be confronted with that. And our response at that time is is where we have a chance to be authentic before the Lord. We can come to him, as, as this in, a, in Isaiah 66 says, with a humble and contrite heart, and we can tremble at God's word, which just means that we consider it authoritative, we trust it, we, we, uh, we put our trust into it, and we believe that we need to repent before God. We follow his word. If we come to him with that response, then we find out later we have a new life in Christ, if we look to him for salvation. And Mark, in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus uh, put it a different way. So Jesus, he comes, uh, he's, he's been teaching, and uh, people are always trying to catch Jesus in a lie because, again, they want the money, the power, the fame, all that stuff, and they don't like that Jesus is, is gathering followers. And so Jesus is teaching one day, and a, and a teacher of the law comes to him, and he's, th- he's thinking, I'm going to trip this guy up. I got him this time. 600 and something commands in the law, Jesus, which one is the greatest? Right? Seems like he's going to catch him. And I just imagine Jesus, without even blinking, just responding with these words. Jesus replies in, in uh, Mark 12, 29, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, right out of Deuteronomy. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and all your strength, which is probably a summary of a verse in Leviticus. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And so Jesus responds with a great response. But for the purposes of today, the, the, the thing is, loving the Lord our God is the most important thing. And how are we to do that? How do we authentically love God? 
with everything that we have. We don't hold anything back. Because the simple truth is, God already knows everything before you confess it to him. Remember the story I was telling you about me and my dad? Well, my dad knew that I was lying to him. My dad knew what I had done. He asked me and gave me a chance to be honest about it, to, to admit it, and I did not do it, right? But as a person who wants to be authentic before the Lord and have acceptable worship, what we should do when we're confronted with our sin is admit, God, I sinned here. God, I need forgiveness here. Lord, help me to find a path forward and avoid this in the future because I want to repent from this. And so repenting from sin becomes something that's extremely important when we want to live in an authentic relationship with, the, with God. And I just want to let you know a little bit, in January, we're going to start a, a group on Monday nights that will be specifically geared towards helping us repent of sin. And it can be all kinds of different sin struggles that we might have. Uh, this is going to be something called regeneration ministry. And this will be a time where you can come and you can literally admit before God and before other people, if you want, where your sin struggles are and how you would like some help moving forward in that. And we want to help you uh, walk through uh, some steps of repentance in that time. And so that'll be on Monday nights starting January 8th. And uh, if you want to be a part of that, we would love to have you. Uh, I think just about any of us who struggles with sin would, uh, would be somebody who needs to do that. Okay, so that's me included. Um, so when we're self, sorry, authentic self-examination, when we are authentic before God, that should lead to repentance. And when we turn away from our sinful behavior... We need to fill that time slot with something else. When you stop doing something, let's say you stop eating junk food. Does it make you less hungry? No. For a while, you're still hungry, and you're still thinking about the junk food that you wanted to, you want to eat. At least I am when I'm watching football, right? Like, I'm, I'm thinking about what I want to eat and what I'm now eating carrots. I mean, come on. And so we have to fill with something else. I mean, that's how we, we make a change in our life. And so... Um, the Scripture tells us what we need to fill our life with. And I want to begin by uh, reading, begin this idea, exploring this idea by reading to you a passage from Isaiah and then a few other prophets in the Old Testament. So this will start in Isaiah 1, verse 11. And uh, I'm going to read several of these, and you'll find out why in a moment. So what makes you think, I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I'm sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing your meaningless gifts of incense and your offerings. They disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they're all sinful and false. I want no more of your, and I think air quotes here, pious meetings. So these people were coming, we're going to come back to this first, but these people were coming before the Lord, trying to get him to fight on their behalf of the invading armies that were, were coming into their land and looked like they were going to overtake them. They see a real threat on the horizon, and so in that moment, they start gearing up the sacrifice. Well, we need to make sure God's on our side. Let's make sure we do these things. You know, sacrificing, woo, yeah, let's do this, the days and all that stuff. And God's response is, 
I want no more of these pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They're a burden to me. I cannot stand them. And he goes a step further, and this is tough. When you lift your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. It's much easier for us having Jesus nowadays than it was for them. Because he makes us clean. Then verse 17, learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Then Hosea chapter 6. This is the Lord God speaking through the prophet Hosea. This is not too much time later. Um, I want to show you love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. But like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. Because Adam was the one that started this. Uh, the New Testament tells us through one man, sin entered the world. It's talking about Adam. And then through one man, we can overcome that. And it's talking about Jesus. And so here again, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Another prophet close to the same time, Amos, he says this, uh, verse 521, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Then finally, Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 6, says this, what can we bring to the Lord? This is the people talking. Uh, should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow down before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children? The answer is no. God never asked him to do that. That was what another country did for their, their God. Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people. The Lord has told you what is good. Here it is. This is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so those are the things that we are to fill our life with. Now you're probably wondering, why did I read like five different sections about the same thing? It's a great question. And I'll answer it this way. If you're a parent, have you ever had a kid come up to you and say, why do you keep telling me that? I know. And you say, because it's important. I want you to understand that. When I'm teaching uh, students in class uh, this last week, I had this one student, he was like, he's 19, so you'll have to understand. He says, bro, why do you keep repeating that? So I like circle it really slowly on the board. And I said, because it's important. And I think that's the same thing that we see in scripture here. This is important. Obedience brings repentance. Obedience plays out in our life by showing justice and mercy and compassion as all of these Old Testament verses showed us. And so what is justice? What is mercy? What is compassion? Well, justice is more than just a social media hashtag that says hashtag justice for whatever, you know. 
Um, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with sharing that or, or that I'm not mad at you if you have shared one of those. I'm not, that's not my point. My point is that justice, biblical justice, is more than just wanting a specific action or result. Biblical justice is justice for all people. The biblical idea of justice does not mean merely to talk about justice or to try to get someone else to do something specific. It means that you and I are going to do the just thing. We're going to live out justice in our life. And so, yes, it, it means fairness, but it means more than that. It means that we carry out God's laws on the earth. It means that we put God first. It means that we put others second and ourselves below that. So instead of being like Saul and, and putting ourselves first and being self-focused and trying to gather fame and fortune and wealth and anything else that we can, instead we put God first, we put others next, and then ourselves last. And that's what justice looks like. And so it means that um, we were, we're not going to bring hardship on someone else to try and manipulate them to do something I want. We're going to act in justice. We're going to... Uh, to act according to God's word. Um, then mercy. What is mercy? In the Bible, mercy is, a, is something that's extended to someone who's either offended someone or maybe the, the guilt of sin. Uh, it's extended to them in the form of forgiveness. Or in the life of Jesus, we see Jesus extend mercy to someone who needs healing. And so giving mercy to someone is, is meeting their needs. Um, in any case, it can be characterized as um, meeting the needs of someone in distress. So mercy is meeting the needs of someone in distress. Whether that distress is caused by the guilt or the penalty of a sin, we need to show mercy. Whether it's caused by a debilitating physical, physical condition that someone might have, we need to show them mercy and help them be healed. And if not healed, experience uh, fullness of life there and, and be the solution to those problems. Mercy is there to help. We're quick, and I'm guilty of this, we're quick to ask for mercy of ourselves, but we're usually slow when someone has wronged us or done something wrong. We're usually slow to ask for God to be merciful for them. But really, mercy is a two-way street. We need to ask for both of those things there. That's difficult. Then compassion, what is that? Well, according to Isaiah 117. So Isaiah 117 says this, learn to do good, seek justice. And then here's what compassion is. Help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. So we need to do those things in our lives. And for me, that really didn't hit home until 2016 when I, when I got to go to Haiti. I went to Haiti. We went to uh, Porta, Porta Pay uh, in the northern part. I think it's Porta Pay. Forgotten now but uh, to either Port-au-Pay or Port-au-Prince. And so we were there and we got to, uh, to help out at, orphan at an orphanage and, and, and do a lot of helping things. And one of the questions I asked the family we were staying with is, why, why aren't there like livestock? Why, why do you don't, not see animals around and stuff? And the guy looks at me and goes, dude, because they'd eat them if they were here because they're that hungry, right? And then as we were traveling through the mountains, uh, walking up paths to little villages, uh, where you couldn't even take a road there, um, you hear people calling out to kids to put on their clothes. And uh, not like what we think of, they, they might own a shirt, right? And so seeing that level of need made me understand compassion in a different way. It means helping people 
wherever they are that we come into contact with, uh, helping have their needs met, that's one of the things we can fill in in our life when we repent. And so when we're focused on making ourselves look good, we can't act in these ways. It's hard for us to carry out justice and mercy and compassion when we're focused on ourselves. But when we turn to the Lord and authentically come before him, repent of our self-focus, it's something we fill in our life with is justice and mercy and compassion. And I want to invite you to do that same thing today. Today, I want to invite you to turn your life away from focusing on yourself and on making yourself look good and trusting in ceremony or ritual. And I want to invite you to put your trust in God. And so there's just three simple ways that we do that. We do that by first uh, well, we call these the ABCs at our church, admit, believe, and confess. And so first you admit, you admit that we are a sinner, that every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God, according to Romans. And then we believe, what do we believe? We believe that Jesus is who he said he was. First Corinthians tells us that he was born of a virgin, that he, that he died on the cross, and that he rose three days later for you and for me to over, overcome death and give us a future hope of life in heaven. And so that's what we believe about him. So we admit, we believe, and then there's one more step, the C. We confess him before others. You see, Romans tells us that if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and we confess him as Lord Jesus, then we will be saved. Then we will be saved. So I want to invite you, if you've never done that today, to make that decision to admit, to believe, and confess. And if that's something you want to do, I want to ask you to pray a model prayer with me in just a moment. So right now, I'm going to ask for everybody, if you would, bow your head, close your eyes. Take a moment, if this is a decision that you've already made, take a moment to pray about how God can show you how to work out justice and mercy and compassion. And if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus today, I want to ask you to pray this with me, wherever you are, whether it's here in this room or in your own home. I want to ask you to pray uh, this either in your mind or, or um, out loud, either way works. Just pray this simple prayer. Repeat after me. God, thank you for the blessing of Jesus Christ. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up in my life. So I come today and I ask for you to forgive me through the blood of Jesus. And I want to follow Jesus all of my life. I want to make Jesus my Lord. And I want to uh, be obedient to his teaching and scripture the rest of my days. And if you just prayed that, I'd ask that you look up at me. I'm not going to ask for a donation or put you on some kind of mailing list or something. I just want to be able to pray for you. So starting over here on this side of the room, if, you're, if that's a decision you made today, if you prayed that prayer, would you just look up at me until I see you? Okay. All right. Maybe wave your hand if I can't see your eyes or something. Okay. And on this side. So if you made that decision today, 
uh, I just want to encourage you to tell somebody. If you came with a parent, um, tell them. If you are here today and you want to tell one of us, uh, we'll be here at the front at the end of the service. Um, you can also text this number on the screen. You can use the QR code on your phone if you want. And you can just text SAVE to that number. And again, we're, we're not going to ask you for anything. We just want to be able to pray for you and help you this week. Um, so at this point, I'm going to ask all of us to bow our heads. We're going to pray, and then we'll be finished here. I thank you so much for the blessing that you've given us in Jesus. Thank you for the message from the prophets all the way through the greatest prophet of Jesus about repenting. I gotta pray that we would authentically confess our sins before you this week and I ask that you would show us, each and every one of us, me included, how we can live this, this week with looking for ways to live out justice and mercy and compassion. God, help us to do that this week. Help us to see that. Be with those who made a decision today. Help them to begin to grow in their faith in you. And God, I just pray that you give them boldness to tell someone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.